0: When you're in a sales role where you really want to separate it feeling like as a salesperson or as a business owner or whatever your title may be, if you're persuading someone to buy something, you want to separate their perception that you're only doing it for your own benefit and that you're actually doing it as a service. A doctor, again, doesn't say thank you for letting me fix your arm. Thank you. Thank you for letting me do the brain surgery on you. I, I really appreciate that.
1: Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the freaking brilliant Jason Cutter. Jason Cutter, the CEO of Cutter Consulting Group, is an author, podcaster, and sees himself as a sales success architect for companies and individuals. Even though he didn't have a sales upbringing or background, his bachelor's degree is actually in marine biology, he knows what it takes to be successful in sales. His first book, Selling with Authentic Persuasion, Transform from Order-Taker to Quota-Breaker, is focused on helping Anyone in the sales profession excel? Jason Cutter, I am so freaking stoked to have you here today because I get to ask your magnificent brain this question What do small business owners need to focus on this week?
0: I would say it's always about sales and revenue. And I think the biggest thing that I see with small business owners is. They're either a technician of whatever they're selling and they don't like the sales piece or they're a pure salesperson that doesn't like building systems or processes. So I would say this Mm -hmm. week, whatever you can do to create at least one system in your sales process that even somebody else could follow, even if you're a solopreneur and work towards actually having a sales system that a team could implement.
1: I mean, you're singing my song. As a salesperson, as someone who used to be terrified of systems and as someone that finally made money when I kicked in my damn systems, you're singing exactly. my song. But you mentioned two things in there that I know in the nature of my work scare the crap out of people. So let's break down those fears. First off, do you want to go sales or you want to go systems? Which of the boogeymen you want to tackle first?
0: Uh, let's go Sales.
1: All right. So I have my own opinion on this, but everybody knows them because it's my show. I want to hear from you. What is up with everybody's beef with selling and how do we get around it?
0: Um, oh, wow. How long did you say this show was again? All right.
1: 75 years.
0: Okay, perfect. So uh, we got enough time. I should be able to cover most of it in that time frame. Um, (laughs) I think that the biggest thing is, is by the time somebody is trying to sell something to somebody else, right? Like where you want to persuade your, your livelihood, your business, your occupation, your job, you know, all relies on revenue generation. You have been a Mm -hmm. customer at some point in your life and you've experienced a really gross ass salesperson.
1: Hot damn completely, yes. I call that sales baggage. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: So before you get into that role, you've had some bad experiences. It's kind of like when you're in a dating relationship and you meet someone and they've been cheated on in the past, then they're bringing that baggage with them and they don't trust you. Right. And so what happens is that most people have had that experience, whether it's either directly or indirectly through a family or friend or someone they've seen who goes through a buying process and then has a terrible experience and a ton of buyer's remorse and just regrets it and is ashamed and embarrassed. Or they watch a movie about terrible salespeople doing terrible things to poor people. Um, They
1: watch Wolf of Wall Street or Glen Gary, Glenn Ross or anything, you know, the used car salesman stereotype or anything. And that just re invigorates or even re-traumatizes all of those examples of all the times we've been lied to or manipulated.
0: Correct. And so what happens is the word sales, the word selling, the act of selling is now a negative, dirty word, right? It's now gross. It's an act where I think right? Let's, I'm going to take myself before I went into sales and even Mm -hmm. realized I was selling anything was I thought sales equaled manipulation, lies, tricks, bribing, pushing people, using tactics, like all these gross things. Hey, what is it going to take for you to buy today? Like all of that terribleness. And so people in their mind, they think that is what it takes to be successful in sales. If that's what it takes, I don't, want to be a hypocrite. I'm going to follow the golden rule. I wouldn't yeah. want that done to me. I'm not going to do that to other people. So instead I will be broke and homeless under a bridge because I'd rather do that if, than push people. At least
1: I'll be a good broke I person. I can sleep at night. Than a bad successful person. Correct. I mean, that's the whole reason why the non Sleazy sales academy, my company exists yeah. was because I had that sales avoidance and I was putting myself in that box under the bridge. I was actively doing it. Yeah. Right. I was working 50 hours a week. I was making no money, 50 minimum, right? And I couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't pay my VA. I couldn't pay anything because I was marketing, 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 never selling. But the reason I wouldn't sell was because the sales avoidance was so pervasive thinking you're right. I love, and I've never thought of it this way, but you're totally right. It's that golden rule. I wouldn't want this done to me. So I'm not going to do this to other people. But what people don't get is that there's a whole lot of other tactics out there.
0: Yeah, so that's half of the reason why they avoid it. And then the other, the other, that's why they avoid it. And then obviously the solution to that is realized fundamentally that sales is service. Like when it's done by mm-hmm. a professional in a mm-hmm. proper way, following a effective formula and format and process, not to make it sound like I'm here to, to pitch anything I do, but just in general, like when you have the proper format and act like a professional, no matter what you're doing or selling, how much you make, um, then it's actually your duty and responsibility to help people, the right people buy from you. And I fundamentally take that to the next level, which is if you let somebody who you should have helped not buy from you, and you don't help them and move them out of their comfort zone to make the change, you've actually failed them and let them down as a professional and as a person.
1: You're also handing them over on a plate to someone with less (laughs) ethics, integrity and care than you. So what I've had to say to people time and time again is, if you don't want to receive a dollar, could you at least think of it as taking a dollar away from an asshole?
0: Well, and I used to train the people in my call centers I work with. I'm like, this person is literally, if you don't help them, they're going to hang up and they are going to get calls from other people or they got other letters Mm -hmm. or they filled out other forms and they're going to get calls. Like if nothing else, think about keeping them from somebody else who is going to do terrible things to them.
1: Yes. Take a dollar away from an asshole. Yeah. Like. They got enough money doing all of their (laughs) nasty, sleazy whatevers, but you're totally a hundred percent right. If we redefine selling as serving, then not selling is an act of neglect. Right.
0: And the biggest correlation that I make an analogy, I try to help people understand because again, you know, you, you. I'm a guy with a marine biology degree that grew up hating sales. Like my, my mom hated salespeople and I have two analytical parents. So I wanted anything but that. I mean, I literally tagged sharks as a safer choice than dealing with humans. Like that's what I thought was a smarter choice, right? I even reflect, there was one point, a little side note. At one point, I'm the young guy on the boat. I'm 20 years old. My job is to protect the bait from being eaten by the great white sharks. I'm on a 21-foot boat. This is in Northern California. And at one point, we're circled by three 18-foot great white sharks at the same time. And I'm in a 21-foot boat, and I'm, I have to keep nope. the bait from being eaten. And that was still a safer choice than people in my mind.
1: That's magic. Right. And also, I, I totally get that, yeah. right? Like, I mean, now that I'm deeply embedded in sales and that I've sunset all of my marketing and branding stuff to exclusively teach sales, it still makes sense to me. But like, as someone who is in awe, but like terrified awe of the ocean, because we don't know <laughs> what's down there yes. past a certain point, like the ocean lovingly scares the shit out of me. Yeah. Like it, it inspires that reverence oh, of fear. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no sharks, sharks scare me a hell of a lot more than sales did. But I think there were times in my life where I would have rather dangled myself in a shark tank.
0: I mean, sharks are very predictable. You, you might be afraid of them and movies make them also look really scary, which isn't fair. And I, I actually do a lot with that and have rebranded uh, a lot of my stuff with a shark logo because of that misunderstanding of sales and sharks, right? They're not all bad yeah. and they do a service, but right. uh, sharks are easy. They have one thing on their mind and they go one direction and that's forward. And you just got to stay out of the, the danger zone. People are much more unpredictable. But the analogy I was going to make about sales and service is that if you go to the doctor and you're you, let's say you break your arm and you go to the ER, the doctor does their exam and goes through their process and does the tests and x-rays and says, hey, we need to re-break your arm. We need to put it in a cast and, um, you know, we'll get you feeling better do you have any questions? Here's a brochure. Here's my business card. I'll send you a follow up email. Um, let me know if you're interested. And by the way, if you sign up for uh, getting your arm fixed by the end of the quarter, we'll give you a discount. Um, just let us know if something you're interested. Um, I'll follow up with you next week. Right? Like that would be absolutely terrible. And people laugh. Like whenever I say that to people, it's like, right. It, yeah. Right. And fundamentally, the difference is doctors have gone through a lot of schooling, a lot of testing yep. held to a certain standard took an oath that they would not cause undue harm to people and they live by that standard personally and professionally. Instead, what do they do? They say, your arm is broken. We need to rebreak it. Any questions before we begin? Hold on. This is going to hurt, but we'll get you better and yeah. we'll get you out of here as quickly as possible. And they just know that their job is to help you. And if you walk out of that emergency room without help, they have failed you and themselves.
1: They also don't apologize for the methodology. No. Like I just had a biopsy and I have this really great new doctor, totally fine. And she said, This shouldn't hurt, but the healing will be uncomfortable. She didn't say, Annie, I'm so sorry. We have to do a biopsy. Don't be scared. Don't, ba-da-da-da-da. no, she said, This isn't going to hurt in procedure, but it is going to hurt in healing. Sorry, right? Like little light, like, yeah, just expect that, right? But I see all the time when people are selling their stuff, especially around, price point and energetic cost, right? Mm -hmm. So if they have a six-month program because they very much believe that for a client to get maximum results, they need six months. And they've done the analysis. They've worked in shorter term. They've worked in longer term. That's their Goldilocks. They say six months. I still hear so many people go, and I know that six months seems like a really long time. And I know that I'm asking for a lot right now. And I know that they're apologizing for the methodology that they have chosen. Doctors don't do that. If they say you need 12 rounds of chemo, you need 12 rounds of chemo.
0: And, and you know what they also don't do? I've, I've, I, I, let me preface this with, I am a very grateful, thankful person. I appreciate a lot in life, even when I'm helping people and I'm selling to them, mm-hmm. I am grateful and thankful. But you know what a doctor also doesn't do is thank you, the patient for agreeing to the treatment right
1: thank you for allowing me to rebreak your thank, arm thank
0: you for letting me fix your arm thank you for you know setting up another appointment thank you for letting us do a biopsy on you right and and mm-hmm. what's interesting is and this is what I teach people mindset wise and this might be going too far off the reservation for us but no nope, like,
1: come on get on
0: the the thing is is that fundamentally when you thank somebody it's because they gave you a gift that benefited you like if i give you yep. a present right? A birthday present. You're going to say thank you, hopefully, unless you're an ass and you're going to say thank you if you were raised. Right. And that means I gave you something and you benefited Mm -hmm. and now you're better off because I gave you something right in sales. If I say like, I used to deal with financial services, you know, consumers. So like, what's your social security number? What's your bank account? Like we got to set up this payment. We got to check your credit. It's like, Hey, what's your social cover? Okay. Thank you. What's your bank account? Thank you. Like, wait a second subconsciously, we're like, wait a second. Uh, that, does that mean I just gave him a gift? Like, why is he thanking yeah, me? Yeah, the-
1: we're giving you factual information. Yes, yes. But it's, we're putting more weight on it Correct. by just these transactional statements of fluff gratitude
0: and same thing with the end right like you know a lot of salespeople default oh to gratefulness God. and again I I appreciate appreciation and I appreciate that sentiment but a lot of people default into that at the end it's like somebody just signed up somebody just paid. it's like hey thank you for being a client so and so or thank you thank you for your payment it's like wait I thought I was helping you I, if I'm the salesperson, And you're the client, and I'm helping you get to a better place. You literally should be thanking me for my help.
1: Right. And I love that you're bringing that up. It's not about not being excited, it's not about not being enthused or on board or passionate about the client work. And it's not about not being grateful. But like one of the things my clients are forbidden to say is thank you for your time. Perfect. They're not allowed to say that shit. Thank you for your time is actually an apology.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's saying you gave me something that I may not have returned. Right. And I got a lesson in overthinking on this very show when I interviewed mogul slash incredible man, Mike Michalowicz. And I fangirled out all day because I freaking love all of his books. And so I kept going, Mike, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for being on the show. Like, And. After he kind of took me to he mentioned it on the show, but after he kind of took me to task, it was like, hey, Annie, stop thanking me because you're giving me a platform. Yeah. And I was like, oh.
0: Yeah. Who's doing who the favor? I gave
1: him a gift. He's giving me presents. He's giving me a great interview. He's giving me a bucket list opportunity to interview someone I super admire, but I'm giving him exposure. And I'm giving him the faith of my audience that this is someone that they should listen to. So I got that hands on doing this very show, which is hysterical because I'm always the first person being like, do not say thank you for your time.
0: We just default, right? Like right. if you were raised a certain way and with manners, like I was raised to send thank you notes, right? So like to to say thank you, to send notes when somebody does something yeah. for you, it's just natural. When you're in a sales role, where you really want to separate it feeling like as a salesperson or as a business owner or whatever your title may be, if you're persuading someone to buy something, you want to separate their perception that you're only doing it for your own benefit yeah. and that you're actually doing it as a service. A doctor, again, doesn't say thank you for letting me fix your arm. Thank you. Thank you for letting me do the brain surgery on you. I, I really appreciate that.
1: Right. If I walked into my new dermatologist with my weird autoimmune disease and she said, thank you for bringing me your weird polka dotted skin, I would be like, why am I a medical marvel? Are you going to write a book about me?
0: And sometimes that happens. They're like, thank you for letting us work on you and experiment on you. That's because they're benefiting in some way.
1: That's because they're benefiting and like they're going to write a book about me and I'm going to be amazed. Like whatever, fine. But like it just in a day to day medical thing, that's not going to be relieving to me as patient. First, I'm going to say thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. Ew, scary. Yes,
0: yes exactly. Scary. And I think when we're talking about small business owners, people who sell, people who are reluctant to sell or see, again, mm-hmm. see sales as dirty, it's because of some of these things where it's like that feels gross because it feels like I'm winning and I don't care if you're mm-hmm. losing or not, Mr. or Mrs. Customer. Instead, yep. if I'm helping you, if I'm a professional, if I see myself as a professional, as whatever I'm selling you carry yourself completely different and the whole game changes
1: that's why the assumptive close is my favorite clothes 100 because we're showing that enthusiasm and we're also moving forward so to use your shark analogy from before <laughs> sharks only do one thing they only move in one direction much like that in a selling conversation i'm not saying thank you for your time that looks no. backwards i say can't wait to see what's next for us yeah. done send it forward ship it forward. Side note, random on this politeness thing. Do you mind telling me where you grew up?
0: Uh, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in California.
1: Oh, so you're not Midwestern. So you don't even have to deal with the Midwestern politeness. I was thinking maybe you got some farm boy in you because those of us who are corn fed, middle country Americans... We uh, apologize for everything.
0: (laughs) So I, I am the mix of of my grandparents, which are the most influence over me, and you know my mom who ran the family. But one, Mm -hmm. my grandfather is from Minnesota, and my grandmother's from Hawaii. So you have two uh, apologetic nurturing culture.
1: Yeah, you got hospitality. We are the world. Let us bring this to your table culture, and then you got the Minnesotan small town it's us in a moose, so take care of your neighbors mentality. Correct. But one of my favorite things about being Midwestern is um, we're guaranteed to do two things. If someone compliments something, we tell people how much we paid for it if it was on sale. And the other thing is when people wrong us up to and including physically assaulting us by running into us on the sidewalk, we apologize to them. So, And that was one of the things, one of the main analogies that I did for forever is are you the person who walks down the street, gets bumped into, turns around and apologizes. If you're the one that got bumped into and you're the one apologizing, you probably also have some sales avoided to Midwestern fuck. Like it's just on there, no judgment. It's just probably part of the game. So
0: Yeah, well, always. and it's tough with that kind of, you know, courtesy or what you think and, you know, just want to avoid drama and confrontation. And then where that really can harm you when you're selling, even with the right intentions. Um, yes. You know, when you're really avoiding anything that might look like drama or confrontation or rejection, um, you're doomed.
1: But platitudes of gratitude are not true courtesy.
0: That was very poetic.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm feeling I see good. that on a
0: meme, like on Instagram right? or something. Yeah,
1: I always say put that on a tote bag. Yeah. But you're totally right. Like, It robs you of power when you're showing up in that way. And I've never had the opportunity to talk about this on the show. And I'm so freaking stoked that this is where your brain went today. I just, (sighs) anytime, like, and that's the other thing about, you know, I've mentioned on the show before, when I meet people that see sales how I do, because I am not the last unicorn, but I am a unicorn. And there are only a few of us. But when I meet other unicorns in the wild, that think the way that I do and put things so beautifully. For me, I just got so freaking excited. So I am going to say thank you because you're giving me the gift of being so fucking excited to put (laughs) this interview out because I don't think we talk enough about the challenges that self-identified or self-aspiring, air quotes, good people face in the sales tactic that isn't just, okay, don't lie. Duh, tell a good person not to lie. OK, but at the same point, we got to be like, also don't overly apologize and don't be overly thankful.
0: It's it's so true. And you're <clears throat> welcome, first off. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of that is just that mindset shift. Right. Again, if you That's focus that. on yourself being a professional and selling and helping literally everything else comes easier. If you have a framework that goes along with it, the assumptive close when done right at the right moment, when you've built up to it, it's so easy. Again, the doctor doesn't say, Hey, is this, is this brain surgery something you would be interested in doing today? Or, you know, I, I know, I I know the brain surgery is probably going to be
1: to get you on my schedule. Yeah. Like, what?
0: no, they just assume the crap out of it. Right. And same thing in sales. I've done that all the time. It's like, (laughs) based on, based on what you told me, here's what we need to do. The next part is the application. Uh, let me just confirm your address. Like we're, we're on the train. You're going to have to try to stop me and I will stop you from stopping me. But like, I know where we need to go. The other extreme that I go with this is because I deal with a lot of enrollments with a lot of like, uh, consumer products, services, financial service, things like that, where it's an enrollment, right? Like, i'm I'm helping yeah. you out of a bad situation. It would feel weird if I'm excited. Hey, I'm here to help you about your credit card debt. Help you get out of. yay, wee. <laughs> like, no, that's gross, right? Like, yeah, it's it's not fun. So I deal with a lot of that kind of stuff. That's
1: the same thing as the doctor being like, thank you for bringing me your weird oh, skin disease. Oh, me. this is so exciting. I'm so glad to
0: see your arm is broken. That's exciting. Let me go ahead and fix this for you. Like, no, like-
1: Right, man. that reminds me of the dentist from Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Like, ew, like I don't want you to be that excited. Exactly,
0: right? Where the motivation is something totally weird that doesn't fit with your goals. But I've also, you know, had people look at the experience they have at the DMV. Now, I've had some DMV experiences where where. where I literally one time I told the woman behind the counter, I was like, do you just hate your job and your life? I literally got to that point. She was just so terrible. And she kind of snapped out of it a little bit, but it was bad. But like, they don't ask you like, hey, now that you filled out these forms, would you like to get a new driver's license? No, you're there. They are there to help you and process you. And they don't ask you if you want to move forward. If you have questions, you'll ask them. Otherwise, they will get to a point where they tell you how much money you owe. You pay it and then you got what you needed and you leave.
1: You stand on the X, you get your unflattering picture taken and you move on with your life.
0: And we accept that, right, as a customer. And again, you don't have to be like that and that harsh and cold, but just help people move forward. That's it.
1: And I'm fully pro marketing, but I have a very urgent need. Like my beautiful car The Buckleberry Ferry is so overdue for an oil change. It's ridiculous. And if I go to the Jiffy Lube that is across the street from my house that I have no excuse to not go to because they do great service. But if I go in there and they're like, hey, you're in need of an oil change, I'm going to say, duh. And then what they're not going to do is put me in a nurture sequence. Yeah. They're going to get me in the bay. They're going to fix my car and they're going to pay me the flat rate that's posted on their freaking wall. Yeah. And while I'm there, they're probably going to offer to do some other things that they could upsell me yep. because my car needs more than one thing. Great. Awesome. Am I going to be opposed to any of that at all? No, I have a very real need. Right. And I think that's one of the things that goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of non-sleazy selling versus sleazy selling is most of the people that I get to work with are building passion projects or selling passion products. And as such, they understand why people deeply want or deeply need what they have or at least what problem it solves. And so I'm not going to Jiffy Lube needing to be convinced to get an oil change. I know I need an oil change. My car is starting to smell a little burnt. That means I need an oil change, right? So I love that. So before we shift, I just wanted to kind of make that whole thing full circle of this idea of where are we over marketing? Where are we over promising? Where are we over complicating things when we should just be getting the job done? And you've given us such gorgeous examples. I love that we've talked about like now we've talked about doctors, sharks, the Midwest, Thank you notes. I mean, I was raised to send thank you notes to people who, when I applied for a job and didn't get the job, send them a thank you note. Hmm. And I'm like, why they didn't hire me? (laughs) Like, why? Why why would I do that? But you know, (laughs) from whatever. Anyway, okay. But I also brought you here for other pretenses, and I am so freaking excited. I told you in the pre chat, I do have a little dream list of things that I'm excited to talk about on the show, and you brought me a golden ticket, love. You brought me one of my very favorite movies. Of all time. What about Bob? So, Jason, what does any of this have to do with what about Bob?
0: I don't know how much of it has to do with this because we kind of went all over the place, but I.
1: we'll yeah. just pivot.
0: it. Yeah. So um I think it, it's one of uh, the what about Bob is one of my favorite movies. It's one of the movies like literally on silent. I know all the words and I can quote all of it from start to finish. Perfect. It's, it's, Perfect. my mom has the same that we both can watch it with the, the sound off. Um mm-hmm. and for me like one of the things when I think of that movie in terms of like sales and what people do in sales, is like I look at what the doctor did, like Dr. Leo in there, where he like met with Bob for the first time and said, okay, based on what you said, here is my prescription for you. And what he did was say, here's my book. And when I launched my book last year, I actually put them all on the bookshelf. Like I opened a case and put them all there and took a picture of that. Cause I was like, here's my, what the, what, what, uh, where's yes. Bob? Uh, what about Bob moment on the, uh, on the bookshelf?
1: Your baby steps moment. Uh, my yeah. babies.
0: I was like, here's, let me, oh, here's a great new book that was written by me. Um, it's hey. So awesome. And so I, uh, I think the thing is, that I see this a lot with salespeople too, is where they, they are married and love their, prescription their solution they think everyone should want it and it should fix it for everybody and it could usually doesn't right but it is probably not universally the best fit and they fail to make it applicable not like here you know you here here's the baby steps book now use this in your situation to cure this one thing to work on this one thing it's just a blanket like Everyone should love it because I love it. You're talking about people who are selling their passion project. They've fallen in love. They think everyone should love their baby as much as they do. And then they think everyone should just sign up and they forget that that other person needs it to be about them. Um, So that's the first part. They
1: also get you to fall in love with their baby and get really excited and then go on vacation for a month.
0: Then there's that too, right? Um, And I think, you know, one of the positives of that is that when you do a great job and you actually solve someone's problem, especially in a way that no one else has or help them achieve something because it's not always about getting out of pain. Sometimes it's achieving a goal yes. or you know, getting something they want or going on a vacation or buying a car. Like there's positives that you're selling at yes. time, right? It's not all just uh, getting them out of pain. But the thing is, yes. is that, Literally, when you do it right, again, I said earlier, people should be your customers should be thanking you instead of you thanking them. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll make a client for life and raving fans. "Eh, You got to be careful. They might be a little crazy. But, um, you know, (laughs) that's the kind of value you want to have where someone's like, Yeah. yeah, I'll follow this person wherever they go. Hopefully no restraining orders. I mean,
1: and spoilers for a movie that came out 30 years ago. That's but fair. for folks that don't know, What About Bob uh, is this really great movie about this guy who's afraid of everything. And one of my favorite details in the movie is that he specifically got divorced because his wife loves Neil Diamond and he hates Neil Diamond. And I love Neil Diamond. So I'm all about that choice. Um, luckily, my husband also is a Neil Diamond. Oh, appreciator. He's not a That's super close. fan.
0: I was going to ask. I mean,
1: it's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty close. He'll there will be times where he'll be like Neil Diamond again, but he also won't turn it off. Right. So it's fine. But Bob comes, meets this doctor. This doctor is so self-consumed, but also is in a place where it makes sense to be self-consumed. Just came out with this brand new book. They have a great consult. He goes on vacation. Bob shows up. Hilarity ensues. Lots of stalking blah 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 but the spoiler here is great movie everybody watch it it's on afi's top 100 funniest movies of all time sitting firmly at number 43 so it's a guaranteed good time but there's this really incredible thing at the end of the movie that happened where i think it's is a it good morning america it's some big show yes is coming to interview Dr. Leo and he's so stressed out and frazzled and freaked and has had such a horrible week that he blows the interview completely. But Bob, who has been so enmeshed with him, is able to evangelize for him and save the day. Bob is the one, the client is the one who is to say this book will change your life and here's why you should read it. This man is a genius and here's why you should vote for him. And that is the kind of client relationship Ideally, without the stalking (laughs) and all the interpersonal drama that goes into it, because I know I can tell people to fall in love with my system all day. But at the end of the day, endorsements, referrals, testimonials and social proof, user to user, let me show instead of just telling my value. So what do you see in terms of all of that, about that idea of social proof or social validation?
0: I I think that's uh, so important. I was just going to quote a line from the movie. Uh, It's it's like mashed potatoes and gravy, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, if you're talking about yourself, people can take it one way or another. When others are talking about your customers, uh, clients, people like that, I think it's it's so much more powerful. In fact, in my book that I wrote, Selling with Authentic Persuasion, I actually have a chapter in there about saying no and the power of saying no and how that I actually will turn people into advocates for you when you tell them, no, I'm not going to sell you because then like, that's not what salespeople do. And then they will trust yeah. you because you're so honest that they'll want to tell their friends and family about you that you know, if you could help them. And so I think that's so important. And I think the pivotal part in that movie and for people to understand this is, in the beginning, Dr. Leo gives just a standard prescription, right? Like he just says, Mm -hmm. here's my book, do this, I'm going on vacation. Bob starts stalking him because he didn't get what he needed and he was still desperate and broken, right? And like in, in need of help and, you know, help me, help me, help me, right? Like that was his mode. And then Dr. Leo finally stops once, you know, Bob shows up, stops and says, okay, so based on what you're telling me, here's the actual thing that will help you take a vacation from your problem that actually mm-hmm. solved Bob's problem. And then he became an advocate before then he was just a creepy stalker. Then he became at once the doctor, the salesperson actually solved his problem and gave him a good prescription that fit him. Then the movie shifted into different funniness.
1: And in that anecdote and in that example, you just verbatim said my number one money making phrase that pays based on what you just told me. One of the cores of the non-sleazy sales approach is listening and regurgitation of detail. Right. And so the, based on what you just told me, that's the personalization of the methodology. That's me showing you're not cookie cutter. It's not having to be one size fits all. Right. So even if I'm selling them a methodology based on what you just told me about your specific needs, I think you should really focus it on module four because I have this great exercise that does this very specific thing is a very different approach than, yeah, based on what you told me, or, you know, I think we'd be a great fit. Okay. Why? Well, based yeah. on what you just told me about your struggles with X, Y, and Z, or like you said, not everything has to be a pain point based on what you told me about your goals, where you want to get to, where you are now, your metrics, your money, blah, 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 blah. based on what you just told me, I think what I would advise for you is this, because then we're showing the meaning behind the prescription. And again, not apologizing to the point I made before. If I'm selling you a six month program, I don't want to apologize. I'd rather justify why the six month is right based on what you were just told so thank you for also sneaking in my very favorite phrase i've threatened to get based on what you just told me dot 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 tattooed on myself that's how hardcore i love that phrase yeah um people have said they put it on my tombstone i'm like that's weird but bring it (laughs) my ideal tombstone i did an interview once on somebody else's podcast and they titled the the episode annie p ruggles will save you from yourself and i'm like put that on my tombstone. Annie P. Ruggles could have, could have,
0: (laughs) have, should have,
1: should have saved you from your frickin' self. What else? What haven't I asked you, Jason?
0: I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, short of getting into a whole nother dialogue about sales. uh,
1: I got a question for you then. That desperate place, that hurry up and wait. That get them to see the pain point and then go on vacation for a month type thing. Obviously, I'm not being literal here. I want everyone to have work-life boundaries and mm-hmm. I want people to have client boundaries and all these other things. But are there some dangers or patterns you see that we do in the marketing or selling or client vetting meeting process that kind of keeps them in that desperate, unhelped place? Is there something that we unconscionally or neglectfully do? To fire them up and then drop them?
0: I think usually what it comes down to is just not setting the right expectations and, and okay. treating it fairly and professionally. Right. So for example, if we go back to the doctor, uh, a medical doctor, not from the movie, which is like you call and you want an appointment generally, unless it's an emergency and you're going to the ER, you don't get an appointment in an hour or 10 minutes, right? Sometimes you have to wait a long time. If it's a specialist and you need an exam, months, maybe even longer than just a few months. And
1: heaven forbid, if you're going through the VA in the US, like my father-in-law does, that takes even longer. So
0: Right, and so there's some expectation. If you're a professional, you're not on call all the time. That's where I think realtors and people like that have set themselves up for failure and being on call all the time because it feels like it's yeah. got to be this urgent thing. Now, there are yeah. times when you have to respond quickly, you have to be. But I think usually what it is is the expectation and most people in sales that I see, especially if they're more on the order taker side or they're worried or they're hesitating with the selling Act and the selling process. Mm-hmm. They don't want to set a lot of strong expectations like a professional would because they're worried about upsetting or losing that person. And so they say nothing and then they end up losing that person because they then go off and take their vacation or they don't respond to emails in 24 hours. And then that person gets upset because you didn't tell them. And I think that's yeah, the biggest it's expectation
1: thing. management. Yes, a hundred percent. And also expectation management on your side. Yeah. Because I was the one saying I have to get back to my clients in four hours. Yeah. And I was the one habitualizing that to your exact point. Then they got used to it. They got ignored to me being there all the time because I was the one going, if it takes a business day for me to get back to them, I'm going to lose them. No, it freaking doesn't. And now it's just expectation management.
0: Yeah. And and sometimes like I, when I've been, you know, VP of sales and marketing prior to, to consulting, like mm-hmm. there was fires all the time. I was part oh, firefighter yeah. and somebody couldn't show up or a manager's not there or the internet goes down. Like it's all hands yeah. on deck. You better be available all the time. Right. Yeah. I'm not a firefighter anymore. Right. I don't no. even, I, I don't help my clients in a firefighter role. Like right? If they, no. if they have trouble with their sales team today, we'll either talk about it or they let me know and we can set up a time to chat, but like, I don't deal in urgent. I I'm more of a we're systems a process guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: I got the same background in that. Like when I was in marketing and sales for software launches were pants on fire, five alarm, everybody run down, something in the QA broke and everybody's losing right. it. And we got investors coming in an hour and we got to get it done. I don't do any triage yeah. anymore. Yeah, I'm helping people build processes, systems and relationships. That stuff takes time. That also gives me more time.
0: Yes. And what I see is the people who are generally in a triage firefighter mode or feel like their success for generating revenue or sales is predicated on their triage reactionary ability. They typically don't have systems in place for themselves. And they're not about systems and processes. Otherwise, they would be like, I will get to you. Here's when. Like, I I care. But it's eight o'clock on a Saturday night. Like, No. And if you need that, and that's what it takes for me to be successful in business, do I want that kind of lifestyle? And some people say yes. And other people say no. But they don't set the right expectation to make sure that it's all right.
1: I feel like we have just run the gamut of (laughs) all of the topics that are near and dear to my heart today. I got two more little questions for you. The first one is, hypothetically, and ideally in a non-stalking situation, you are on vacation and you run into a client who you're happy to see,
0: Yeah.
1: but for whatever circumstance you get snowed in or you're on a very small cruise ship or something and you have to hang out with this client. What activity do you ask your client to join you in on vacation?
0: Well, if we're snowed in. um,
1: It doesn't have to be snowed, but you have to hang out. You can't just be like, oh, hey, nice to see you and go back to your room. You have to hang out.
0: I would say fishing. Why? Um, A, I really enjoy fishing, although I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy time on or near the water. Most of my clients I'm thinking about generally also like fishing or the idea of fishing. Um, I think it's also fun because it's, one person winning doesn't necessarily mean the other person's losing and it's not completely a competition. Like if we were to sit right. in the room and play board games or card games and it's like there's one winner and one loser and then drama ensues. Um,
1: Oh yeah. Like no one should ever play monopoly with someone they care
0: yeah, about. Yeah, or ever. someone they don't like. Cause then they're just going to crush them yeah. into oblivion or be really yeah. mad when mm-hmm. they lose. So, um,
1: but I think your point about pitching is great because if I catch anything, that's a yeah. win.
0: And if I catch anything, that's a win. And because I also am very self-aware about how uh, much I enjoy fishing, but how bad I am at catching. Like if you catch something and I don't, I'm also okay with that because that's cool because somebody caught something. I got to see it.
1: And at the end of the day, we get to have a really lovely morning on the water. There we go.
0: That's it. And the being around the water usually solves most things and makes things better. So,
1: I mean, spoken like a true marine biologist. (laughs) Jason, I know that you and I could talk for years about this. I cannot wait to read your book. I have a feeling I'm just going to open my jaw and just inhale it into (laughs) my very soul. Everybody, make sure you go out and get the book. Jason, for people that are listening to this and are as fired up about your brilliance as I am, how do they get into your world? How do they start a conversation with you? And where do they find that book?
0: Uh, So I would say the best way to start a conversation with me because of the wide range of people that might be listening to this is to go to jasoncutter.com, which might be, it's kind of a weird answer based on, you know, the other guests that you have on here where there's a specific thing or, you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn, but I found that jasoncutter.com, I've made that into a hub for everything I have from books to podcasts, to programs, to coaching, to, to, to consulting. Like that's a good one-stop shop where people can go self-select, say, hey, I'm a small business owner. I need help with this. Or I want to listen to this podcast and then just go there because I have way too much. Or when in doubt, this is something that's kind of a fun thing I'm proud of. uh, I'm also the number one ranked Jason Cutter on Google. So if you Google uh, Jason Cutter, um, I pretty much dominate the first four pages. It took me a couple of years, but um, yeah. Uh, I, I I own most What's of that Google. on your
1: business card. The I number have, one rank. I, I have Jason that in Cutter my signature in my emails.
0: Internet. I went in doubt. Number Good. one rank. Jason Cutter on Google. Just Google <laughs> so, yeah. me.
1: Hey. We gotta own the stuff that we've earned, right? And and getting ranked well on Google is not an easy feat. So you may as well rock it.
0: And and it's funny, funny story here. Before we go, I had a guest on my podcast very early on a couple of years ago. His name is Rob Howe's H O W Z E. And it came to the call to action, and I said, Hey, Rob, how can people find you? He's like, I'm the number one Rob Howe's on Google. I'm like, That's amazing. Let me check mine. I was like, Oh, this sucks. I gotta fix this. And uh, and I'm like,
1: I'm the number four, Jason. May- on the internet. Maybe
0: That's- four, maybe
1: four. Oh. Oh man, yes. we're, oh, we're good man. now. <laughs> oof, oof. Well, thank goodness for that. Um, you mentioned your podcast. Yes, obviously, my people listen to podcasts. Yes. Tell us quickly about your podcast. Uh,
0: I technically have three right now because I am a bit of an overachiever. Dang,
1: overachiever, um, much?
0: Now, the the thing is, is that I'm down to only three episodes a week. I had one podcast at five episodes a week, so you know, whatever, take it how it is. Um. Uh, is uh, I have The Authentic Persuasion Show, which goes along with my book. Um, That one I put my weekly trainings to, but that one has a lot of episodes from the past, lots of great interviews with some really cool people, people they've heard, people they haven't heard. But it's all about sales and authentic persuasion. And I have two other shows that are more focused on call center leaders and owners. One's the Scalable Call Center Sales Podcast. And another one is a weekly show I do with my buddy, Oliver, which is called Call Center Confidence with Cutter and Cat. And we just have fun talking about call centers.
1: I love it. I mean, hey, you got somebody's got to be able to have fun with a call center. There you go. I had a lot of fun when I worked in a call center. So I can only imagine y'all having a lot of fun talking about it. Yep. But this has been a freaking blast. And I am so legitimately, genuinely grateful that I got to spend the gift of this time with you. Thank you for bringing your fabulous presence, your beautiful brain to my show. And also you're welcome for the free exposure. Hi. Thank you for the free
0: exposure and you're welcome. There we go. Full circle. There
1: There we go. There we go. Thank you. And you're welcome too. everybody else listening. You are welcome. For this fabulous episode. And thank you for listening. And I'll be back in just a second with my final thoughts and your homework for the week. Unfortunately, due to landlocked things, it probably will not involve fishing. Well, hey there, listeners. Do you have a word of the year yet? I most certainly do not. At one point, I was going to have it be platypus, just out of sheer desperation. Honestly, when I see everybody's wonderful Word of the Year devotional posts and prompts, I feel ill at ease because I just can't put my finger on the energy of this year yet, nor do I want to rush into it with all the hope in the world, declaring it sure to be the best year ever, like I did in 2020 and 2021, (laughs) aka 2020 part two, Electric Boogaloo. But like a shark, I can only swim forward into this new year, and I'm not as shiny or prepared as I thought I'd be, but I'd like to think that I'm tenacious and experienced enough to handle this next stretch of entrepreneurship and life, whatever they may bring. So instead of my word of the year, which hopefully won't wind up being Trisket, I hope you'll let me share a wish or two for all of us for what comes next. May we tie up the loose ends that keep us moored to the past and to our inboxes so new things come into our lives and our pipelines. May we learn to love the boring admin shit and see it as fuel for our entrepreneurial fire. And also, may we find the right people to delegate to. May we bounce back from missteps, heal from our haters, and shake off indecision faster than in years past. May we make our own glorious opportunities and finally see the tipping point of dreams not yet realized. May we never forget that selling with integrity is an act of loving service and that charging our worth is a form of deep self-respect. So no homework this week, except feel free to take a prompt out of these wishes if you'd like. The most important thing is to treat yourself with kindness. Remember, you are your most precious asset and a hell of a great person. And this year can't be amazing if you don't take good care. Hey, thanks for listening. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the Non-Sleasy Sales Academy. And me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. Listen, we talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's because I fully, earnestly believe that every dime and every moment we spend marketing is totally worth it, unless we turn around and sabotage ourselves at the finish by refusing to sell and sell beautifully. Why? A lot of us have a misconception of what selling actually requires of us or who it needs us to be please give me the opportunity to help change your mind at www.nonsleazy.com. That's N-O-N-S-L-E-A-Z-Y.com. Big shout out to the fabulous dudes who helped make this show what it is. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypeable Impact. My composer, Riley Horbastio. And my show artist, Francois Vigno. They're all fabulous and I'd be glad to introduce you. Until next week, just do your best. And remember, you're too legitimate to quit.